Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Before you listen to this podcast, be aware this show often uses very naughty language. If you don't like that, you shouldn't listen. Send your complaints to I am a whiny baby with no sense of humor at nightstory.com or stop by the studio. I'll take you for a ride to a story of my choosing. It is hard to find because it is a lost place and all who dwell here are lost. Do you see us? Then you too are lost. Don't be afraid, for I am here to guide you. I will help you find your way. Now, come with me to the ninth story. Welcome to episode number 420. 420. Yeah, I guess that means something, but you know, it's a, that's for you guys to figure out. I don't yeah. know exactly what you it means. You know what? Good job if you don't. Yeah. Good job. If you forgot, <laughs> if you forgot it's because you know it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fantastic. So here we are in the Ninth Story Studios recording the very last episode of Ninth Story podcast with me at the helm. That's right. And, and in studio today, I have the folks that will be taking over the show. Co-captains. Indeed. Yeah. So uh, there's the, this voice is Jeanette Andromeda, whom you've known because of this season. And uh, that's right. You were co-host on you guys. most of the, most of the episodes you were co-host this season. Yeah. 
you know, I had to do my little wrap up at the end, you know, finish off unfinished business. So we had the, the, the towers in the studio, the stepfather, the Weber, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, uh, who's this, who's this other voice? I don't know. Someone, you know, uh, hi, some dude. Uh, Who are you? I'm immortal Alexander. Holy cow. Oh my God. I'm like married to you or something. Yeah. And we, uh, I write for your blog, your horror made blog. (laughs) And now I'm here. That's fantastic (laughs) you might even say it's tremendous even tremendous you might even say how many times i can say tremendous in this episode every other word please and then uh if if you are new then the other voice the third voice is dan foytek who is uh you know yeah you don't need to worry about me anymore the creator of the ninth story and uh the lift and now taking over uh, has taken over the wicked library podcast yeah season seven i took over full ownership of the wicked library Season six was kind of, uh, I guess, uh, babysitting yep. or, you know, minding the store. <laughs> and we have uh, Listen and the Caveman Mafia podcast and Dangling After Dark with Dick Dangle, which I executive produce. Um, I'm do trying you, to think, are there any podcasts I don't do? Uh, this one. No. This one, <laughs> well, this one is going to be You're escaping from this one. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're using the escape pod, the eject pod with the, uh, the droids and uh, going off to Tatooine somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it was time. Uh, I've been trapped in uh, this, this building here for quite a while. And uh, I, I guess it's time to get out. Victoria said it's time to go. So you guys will be taking over the helm. <laughs> Tremendous. Yeah. Well, so we're glad Victoria decided it was okay if we stayed. <laughs> there you go. Oh, you have no choice. Is that okay, Victoria? You've been called here for a reason. You just need to take the initiative. Go on now. You have work to do. Thanks, Victoria. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we talk a little bit about what you have planned for the show? Oh, heck I know yeah. we've we've done that on some other shows, but... We should do it on this show, I we guess. We should, actually. Right? This would make sense. So, so we're going to go back to basics, I, I understand. Yes, mm-hmm. because uh, uh, before I became a co-host with you, Dan, I was a collaborator with you on other podcasts. And before that, I was just a listener of this show that really enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, what Alexa- and Alexander has been like binge listening to yes. all of the ninth story. Which oh, my God. It's excellent. We're going to do what we're going to do. <laughs> We really enjoyed when you uh, read a story and then talked about said story on the podcast with yeah. either yourself, because you were the one who wrote the story, mm-hmm. or with the other author. Yeah, we really enjoyed the uh, concept of storytelling in all mediums. We're definitely going to try to keep ours more horror-centric. Uh, so, you know, horror-themed music, musicians, and horror-themed filmmakers, and, and book writers, and anybody who has a horror-themed uh, uh, project that we'll be uh, kind of discussing in that regards and trying to, uh, let's say if it's a musician that has, you know, horror themed content, we would perform a piece of their work as if it was a story and talk about the, how they came up with the concept and the story uh, behind their music and, and looking at it from a narrative perspective. Excellent. Because we come to this from, you know, horrormade.com. So we mm-hmm. want to know how horror is made and that and just is going to continue through as a through line. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of the original, if there is such a thing as an original, uh, stories are, are are strong, have strong horror elements to them. Absolutely. M- most original stories were ta- told as cautionary tales. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a lot of the older fairy tales. And in my opinion, fairy tales are, are horror stories. 
in in most cases, unless Disney gets a hold of them and then they shine them up and make them acceptable. But yeah. the first fairy tales and folk tales were told between adults. The children were sent to bed and the parents and the adults would talk. And there's a, a long tradition in, in the oral tradition of, of having these stories be cautionary and, and have some dark elements to them because that's the way that life works. I mean, you're supposed to get your lessons for life through that. Um, it's a way if we listen to the older stories. We know who our ancestors were and where we came from. And there's a lot of wisdom in those old tales. And that's one of the things that I've always liked about the, the horror genre is it's kind of bringing a lot of that into modern day situations. You know, we had a, a brief conversation today where we talked about, um, almost in an ancillary fashion, fashion about horror and that some of the more terrifying things are reality and mm-hmm. what comes from the headlines, not necessarily the big scary monster in the basement. Yeah. Not that that's not fun and not that that's not inbuilt into us because, you know, you look at evolution and it's being afraid of the dark and what's out there in the dark because that's what hunts at night, mm-hmm. you know? So we are, that's like something I think that, it's very ingrained in us to sit around a campfire or to sit around talking and telling stories and to kind of feel the world closing in around you as it gets darker and darker. Yeah. And I think people today, it's hard to, the scariest thing about this day and age is you really can't just get comfortable uh, and be completely at ease. There's always a chance of something bad happening at any time of the day, night, whatever in the news. And so you never really know where that, that, terror is going to come from and that to me isn't really definitely the most frightening thing uh, above anything i could come up with my own imagination there's much more tangible terrors in the world i try to go more deeply into fantasy mm-hmm. and the things that are thinking about humanity and 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 how we treat each other and 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 that kind of thing is kind of where i go with my stories because i think uh pure fantasy and escapism is what i fell in love with uh when i fell in love with story and films and books and uh, I feel like that's really the, the, the core of what I wanted when I want to tell. Mm-hmm. So what is your attraction to horror? You know, we've had this conversation <laughs> kind of before, but we have a little bit. So, so tell me why you, you're focused um, that why you want that to be the focus for for your first season, at least of, of Ninth Story when you come back in January. I think it's because whenever I go to another anything, I'm like, this is great, but it's not scary. So what's the point (laughs) i feel like there should be some element of danger there should be some element of fear in every story for it to be really powerful um i just am obsessed with that heightened sense of fear that comes with horror and i'm also particularly obsessed with figuring out the various subgenres of horror there's so much just within this one label that you can explore in how story is told and how it can be told well because you know, I've made some terrible, terrible horror movies, and why they're terrible is not necessarily the budget wasn't great, but like the story kind of got lost in look, cool, blood, effects, things. If the story's there, then it's a great story, and I think horror deserves some attention as far as like how how a good story is told and can be scary at the same time, or at mm-hmm. least play in the shadows. 
for example. So are there other genres that you're interested in? I mean, do oh, you, yeah. do you, do you enjoy <laughs> romance at all? Do you enjoy I keep mystery? Trying. Mystery, yes. I do enjoy a good mystery. Um, romance, I every once in a while read one that I enjoy, but it really has to be uh, very well written. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like paranormal romance and romance in general gets very lost in its own lust. Yeah. And uh, that just, it gets boring. It's like, okay, that was a really hot, sexy sex scene. Good job. <laughs> Why are there 12 more right after that one? (laughs) Can I have a plot, please? (laughs) Um, There's no plot. It's just sex. So that's mostly what a lot of romance is. And it just like, it just doesn't attract me. Um, Romance is the female version of pornography. You're welcome. If you didn't know that. (laughs) I I think that like... uh Alex Murd might dis- might disagree with you. She might say that <laughs> pornography is the female version of pornography. Well, you know, yeah. it's it's the hidden cover. <laughs> like when you see mom or grandma yeah. reading like some romance novel, it's not necessarily because it's romance. Mm-hmm. There's another reason. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, I, I think that whenever uh, you know a financier comes into any major project, they're always going to go for what's going to sell: sex, yeah. gore. You know, things that are just, you know, easy to do and easy to conceptualize for somebody who has no perspective on how that works in, sor- in story. Mm-hmm. And and so they just kind of throw that stuff at the wall uh, ad nauseum and, and hope you don't notice uh, that there's nothing else be- beneath that. Yeah, I will say speculative fiction in general is what I enjoy, I think. Horror is a huge part of it. Sci-fi is a big part of it. And uh, fantasy and I have a long, long, lustful love relationship there. Um, that's where my romance was. It was urban fantasy for the longest time, <laughs> but that's because like authors like Holly Black wrote it very, very well. And that was, uh, some of the stuff that I just read over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the stuff that I would like to write, not necessarily the romance part of it, but you know, a good story often has romance. Right. Um, it just needs to be done well. That's all. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's any good storytelling because that's life, you know? Yeah. People love and have sex and yeah. fight and murder and all those things, you know? It's so all part of it. It's all part of making a story feel more real, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's all about balance, you know? Like, you right. can't just be in bed sheets. I guess you could. Like, I, I do challenge our listeners. If you have one that you particularly think is like a spectacularly well written story, mm-hmm. but it's erotica. I tell me, I'm interested. <laughs> Feel free to push my boundaries with right. stories that are incredibly well written. I would like to be proven wrong. <laughs> it, it just it becomes more a high concept than than execution at that point. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So when did you start listening to Ninth Story? Uh, pretty early on when I started listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. So that was. I started listening to podcasts when I finally got an iPhone in 2012. Oh, okay. No. Mm, It was later than that. 2013? Yeah. I don't know. It was was, uh, during Animal, whenever that one was in production, because I was driving up to Manchester, Connecticut and back, and that Hmm. was a good 45-minute drive every day. Yeah, and uh, I listened to podcasts, and the podcasts that I subscribed to were Ninth Story and uh, Jim wow. Harold's Campfires Tales and uh, uh, Anything Ghost, and then there were a few other ones that were NPR based that quickly lost my attention because they just weren't uh, interesting enough for me. <laughs> so yeah, you started pretty early on. I mean, the first episode that I ever put out was actually a story. Yeah. Um, and then I, I I did a few episodes that were 
um, part of this little story arc that I did called The Ride, um, <laughs> which is somewhere hidden on one of these websites. I haven't eliminated it, but I've made it rather difficult to find um, because it, it was it was something that I wrote that afternoon and then would perform that evening. So it was I was trying to push myself to kind of write like the old time radio writers would write where sometimes they would write the story that afternoon and it would get performed mm-hmm. by the actors either the next day or later that day. Yeah. Um, and I, I deliberately tried to write myself into a corner in every episode, you know, like where are we going to go from here? And, and it very quickly, I mean, I knew where I wanted it kind of to go. Um, but it's, I didn't, I started with no idea of how I was going to get there. Nobody puts Dan in a corner. That's right. Except for Dan. Apparently. Except for Dan. Exactly. <laughs> he paints exactly. himself into corners all the time. But I did that because I wanted to to start exploring story and storytelling. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, looking back as I'm sitting here kind of flipping through the pages and, and looking at what what the episodes were from season to season. And, and the first season was really um, what Craig and I referred to as two chimps on a Davenport. Um, <laughs> and that's really what it was. It was just the two of us. I mean, there are a couple interviews in there. Um, but mostly it was just the two of us sitting around and talking about stories and why we like stories and what movies we liked and what TV shows and what we thought good writing was. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's just a couple of guys sitting around talking about the fact that we love, you know, stories and storytelling and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, I think that one of the cool things about doing seasons is that you can kind of reinvent things from season to season you can it's a logical break point where yeah. you can say okay i've finished this exploration and i want to go in a different direction with the show now um so we moved into to season two and season two was a lot more of you know craig was still involved um to a large extent but i also did a lot of individual episodes where it was just me talking to storytellers so <clears throat> i interviewed john russo um who people will know from night of the living dead and uh, got into taking a look at um, well, John Russo was towards the end of season one. Um, season two, we got into season two, and I think it was a lot more of talking to different storytellers. Like I talked to Jane Yolen, um, I talked to uh, Milray Birch, and she's a folklorist. So I mean, we talked about fairy tales and folk tales and um, that kind of thing, and then. Um, moving into season three, I think it really became more kind of like a self-exploration. I talked to a lot of other people, but it was more focused on what can I learn from these folks and taking the audience along for the, for the ride to say, here are the people that, you know, and I mean, I talked to a variety of different people. Three was really very eclectic in terms of who I talked to. Um, like one of the people that I talked to was a physics professor Mm -hmm. about, you know, the story of the universe and, and kind of how science is, is, is a part of things that we do. And, and, you know, that came into how does science affect science fiction and how does science fiction affect science and, and things like that. But uh, you know, it, it, it was really going far afield and trying to talk to as many different folks that I could. So I talked to podcasters, I talked to um, sculptors, um, the, the, the Victoria's that you see in the studio, uh, Chris Urbanic was the sculptor that made those. And he came up uh, from West Virginia and, and sat down and we talked about his journey through telling his story in the form of sculpture. 
and you know art as well because he draws obviously before he creates and uh i haven't seen a lot of his his drawn artwork uh if i've seen any of his drawn artwork hmm. but um you know from talking to his wife and everything he's he's very talented with with the you know the line art as well uh which i would assume you would have to be if you're going to sculpt you have to kind of know what the image is going to look like from not necessarily some self, some sculptors wow words are hard um some sculptors really do just uh work from feel rather than from a drawing initially um but yeah i can't, i can't imagine trying to sculpt something without having a sketch beforehand yeah but um what out of all of the interviews you've done was one that just really has still resonated with you for a very long time. Wow. Um, there's so many of them. Um, I mean, uh, maybe I can pick like a few. Uh, yeah. Because Give us like your top for for me to four. pick for me to pick five. Like my top one is is tough because there it's uh, even though these are in interviews and not things that I wrote and created myself. I mean, I feel that there's a creative process to interviewing. You know, mm-hmm. you have, a, you go in with a purpose and a goal and it's very collaborative because you adapt to, you may have a set of questions, but whenever one question gets answered in a way that you're not expecting, you may decide you want to delve deeper into that. So, you know, you adapt to each other. Um, let's see. I, I, one of my favorite interviews was Daniel Morton. He's a Welsh storyteller. And I went to see him perform live at uh, the National Storytelling Festival in, in uh, Jonesboro, Tennessee. And that's there was an, a, a definitely a, a very strong arc through um, late season two, early season three, where I was delving deep into traditional storytelling and and like the people that would were get up there and would tell you a story. And it's all oral. It's not they're not reading off a of paper. You know, and their performance is going to change from story to story because the audience is different and your mood is different and the storyteller's mood is different. You know, so you start with, you know, a, a basic folktale or, or fairy tale and it's, you know, adapted at, through tellings. Um, and I found it fascinating just like that's where that's where storytelling comes from. I mean, that's the first form. I mean, maybe cave paintings. I, I don't know, but I, I would. They I, told stories I before they, they yeah. figured out how to paint. <laughs> I mean, that's the first you take you know the the trying to understand the world and trying to understand culture and god and love and religion you know whatever is through that exploration and story and i mean as those stories would be told and retold you know every storyteller adds a little bit of themselves to the story and you know the original teller they're still somewhere in there in that story you know there which to me is fascinating it's like something was told hundreds of thousands of years ago and the original story there's still something of the original teller in that story. You know, maybe, maybe not even going back that far, but, you know, you could say 500 years ago, somebody wrote a story and told it for the first time, but they're really not telling it for the first time because they're borrowing from culture. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at like Joseph Campbell and, and culture, you know, the the monomyth, you know, it's it's all these elements that because we're human, we share and it makes its way somehow into the into the stories that we saw. I'm just watching the dog. Um <laughs> I'm surprised you don't hear him snoring through the microphones. You might if you hear <laughs> snoring. Uh, These are good mics. So he, I, I can totally hear him snoring. It's yeah. probably the pup next to us. These are these are all yeah. Rode microphones. Thanks yeah, to our thank sponsor, you, Rode. Rode. Thank you, Rode. Provided us with these wonderful microphones. And these are great. These are the Rode Procasters. Uh, not to do a commercial here, but if people listening to the show 
some of the most of the people are creators of some sort, and I'm assuming a portion of those are people that want to create audio. Um, the nice thing about these is that I'm snapping. And as I move away, you can't hear it. So these are these are dynamic microphones in that you have to be kind of close to them. Yep. So Which is awesome, especially if you have a, a vocal tick like I do. Uh, for example, I like to go when I it bothers the heck out of me. When I started podcasting with Dan, I had this little, you know, and all of the microphones that I use at home, I can hear my yeah. intake of breath. And now I can go. Yeah, you can turn off access. I can just move away, and then you don't hear my awful verbal tick. It's yeah. not even verbal. It's just like breathing. But these are perfect for like an, a non-ideal studio. They work great in a great studio, too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, sometimes I'll have the window open, or sometimes the dog will be snoring, or <laughs> sometimes there's other stuff going on, and these microphones are very forgiving um, in that you get great, rich quality from the microphone, but you also don't get all this extra stuff that's going on around you that doesn't need to be a part. And for me, that's always been the biggest part of trying to put the podcast together is I'm constantly trying to make the audio sound better um, because that's all you have with a podcast. It's just your ears. And I understand, you know, a lot of people are listening on $12 earbuds or whatever came with your phone or whatever, or in the car or, you know, in on a radio on, on whatever speakers that you have in your office while you're doing other stuff. But for someone that puts a pair of earphones on or headphones on um, and, and truly is listening, hopefully this sounds good, you know. So this we do for you. That's correct. Also for road microphones. Right. They gave them so and they're very durable they're feeling. Fantastic. They feel like they oh, could be used as a blunt object you for could zombies. You beat someone to death with one of <laughs> yeah, these. Totally. <laughs> and still record a podcast after. It, exactly. It would, yeah, it could come right off. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, we got three of them in the room now, and uh, I'm, it's uh, it's kind of cool to you know, I, to see that these yeah. are all here and they're that, being used. And we're all in the same room together, right? And that's what? one of the other things that's nice about these microphones in a scenario like this is you don't get bleed through. So you're I can't hear you like that's if you use a cheap microphone that picks up everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and sometimes, honestly, even very very good vocal microphones, they're designed to pick up everything. Um, and they just won't work in, in this type of scenario. But I mean, I can't hear you through my microphone. No one can hear me coming through. So that's like whenever I work and I do um, dangling after dark, whenever I'm on site with him at the gentleman's club or the gentleman's club, there's Sean Connery's there. Um, but uh, that's one of the one of the things that's a challenge in editing is that because of the echo in the room and everything and the types of microphones that we're using, because I give the, the, uh, the interviewees a clip on microphone to make it easier for them. So they don't have to worry about holding the mic properly and mm-hmm. carrying one of these stands to the, to the club every week would not be an option for sure. me. Yeah. So I have to fight that bleed through. Uh, but in, with microphones like this, you can have, you could have five more people in here talking and you're only going to pick up what's coming from the microphone in front of them. Wow, that turned out a lot longer and te- more technical than yeah, I actually. expected. But, you know, hey, it's a podcast about podcasting, right? And you do write manual, so I, I get it. <laughs> so, yeah, so I would say um, Daniel Morden um, w- was a big one. It was, it was. I mean, I'm, I love the way he tells the story, too. So for me, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit fanboy type of stuff. You know, it's like that's a real story. And I know there are tons of other storytellers out there that are great. But I just clicked with him in a way that it was it was really a lot of fun to to talk to someone that has made their living being a, just a storyteller for you know the last twenty some thirty some years. Um, in, in the same in the same vein, I would say probably um, 
Jane Yolen and Milbury Birch had probably put them to the two of them, those two ladies together. Um, and I don't think either of them would mind that. Um, Jane Yolen has, she's, she refers to herself as America's Hans Jewish Anderson because people refer to her as America's Hans Christian Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, she's an amazing writer and, uh, you know, friends with Neil Gaiman. There, there's, there's another point in her book for me, uh, because I'm a big fan of Gaiman's work. And um, and Milbury was was wonderful. She was the she's actually how I got to talk to to Jane was because I talked to Milbury first, and she's a folklorist. I actually found her um, through a folklorist website, and I was trying to find a folklorist that I could interview and talk to because I was like, I want to get back to the the root of like true traditional oral storytelling and who better than a folklorist and she was wonderful she said yes she was the first person i asked and she said yes and i was like well there we go and uh, she's like you know you need to talk to jane yolan you'd enjoy talking to her so i got to talk to jane um I wow. will say I really enjoyed that track you went on, and I'm glad that you're making Listen yeah. into its own podcast. And now you'll actually have time to give it a little more attention, maybe, maybe possibly. <laughs> well, yeah, um, Listen is, for those that don't know, it's basically live recordings of storytellers that I've made at storytelling festivals. They've been kind enough to share those with me. And the intent was always to put that out there and let people hear what live storytelling sounds like. And unfortunately, Listen didn't really get off the ground initially. But uh, recently, somebody mentioned the show, and it's been doing re- really well. So I think I kind of owe the audience some some more because I got a ton of it just sitting on my hard drive. It's amazing how difficult it can be to get to around to editing. But um, <laughs> yes, yeah, I hope I hope us helping out, or rather taking over the night yeah. story, will give you a little time to do listen because I really did enjoy that track, and it actually part of. Um, one of my upcoming dreams is to, you know, move to Italy is my dream. Go live with Alexander's family for six months and record and collect their ghost stories because everyone in this little town of Monte Scalioso has a ghost story to tell. So that is that oral tradition that I want to help capture, that I want to help preserve. And then with this collection, it would be drawing a portrait of whoever's story it is with the story because a lot of the times with the true ghost stories, you just get... The story and then like where the story took place. It's like, mm. here's this bridge that everyone knows, which is cool. It is cool to like to have a little map of haunted places and go. But it's the people that yeah, are to know who the story know more about the storyteller, too. Exactly. And there, and there actually was a horror movie filmed in Monte Scalioso called I think it's called like uh, Il Demon or Demonico, something like that. Then the demon. It looks hilarious. Yeah. It's kind of silent filmy. Yeah. Uh, nice. We only found like a little chunk of no, it. No, the, the whole the whole movie thing? is on YouTube. Il Demonico. I stand corrected. And it's got like I think my 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 great uncle's in there or somebody. We'll link to that in the show yeah. notes. That's a place that uh Daydream Land of Story Podcasting will hopefully bring us to is telling those stories from it, that. It town. looks like the there's a movie that's it's out or coming out. There might be a remake of that. That looks very similar in story. That's Awesome. <laughs> I think it is called is also called the demon, and it's about uh, it's an if it's German or something, and they it, there's a wedding, and then the person gets possessed, and it looks very similar in in story to the to Il Demonico. So Dan, I have another question for you. Mm-hmm. And that question is, as uh, us taking over your podcast, do you have any advice for us? Yeah. Or beginner podcasters in general. <laughs> Podcasters for wow. dummies, um, like podcasting for dummies. Well, I mean, there's there's some things I'll tell you about off air that we're going to try to do. 
um, because I, I don't want to necessarily give away all the secrets. That's but, fair. But we're gonna we're gonna do a, a couple things. Um, one of them is I think that I'm gonna archive everything except for the the, the current season that you and I have done together. And because I feel that's kind of the new direction of the show and the, the shows, are, they're all available at podcast.ninthstory.com. And you can explore the entire show from there. Every episode that's ever been put out is up there, uh, except for the story episodes. I pulled those out and you can find those separately. Um, but basically everything that was and truly is what the Ninth Story podcast was intended to be, which is kind of like a talk discussion show, is there. Um, the advice. Um <laughs> Ask questions that you want to know the answers to, um, mm-hmm. because don't ask the questions that you think people want to hear asked. I mean, you can do a little bit of that, but really, this is an exploration for for the two of you. It's your journey, and don't ask the the, the obvious questions, um, and don't always move right on to the next question. Because a pause at the end of that person's answer will sometimes cause them to give you some more information. Because the first thing that they give you, if it's a question that's similar to a common question that they get, is going to be the answer that they always give you. But we abhor a vacuum. And when you stop and you put me on the spot a little bit, not in a bad way, just you know, a little push, uh, I'm going to want to give you more information. I'm going to want to continue. So that's that's something that I learned. I can't remember where I read that, but it, I thought it was it was great advice, you know, to to not just move right on, you know, to to pause and reflect on if it goes too long, you can always edit that 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 pause that gap out. Mm-hmm. Uh so it's not, you know, uncomfortable for the listener. But a lot of times you'll get that extra kick, you know, at the end of that. Uh but but I mean that's probably I guess the biggest piece of advice is just to ask the questions that you want to know. And and try to find parallels between what you do and, and what your your interviewee is is doing, you know, because, you know, one of the things that I tried to challenge myself to was, to, like I said, I talked to a, a physics professor uh, who is a friend of mine from from years back. I, I went to high school with. So that's how I knew him. But I mean, he was doing this this high science and, and this fascinating stuff. And I knew he was, you know, a lot of fun to talk to. And it's one of the one of the most highly downloaded episodes of the show ever. Um, because people are fascinated by that type of thing, you know? Um, but I mean, I challenged myself to kind of go as far afield as possible and say, how can I take what this guy does and apply it to me being a better storyteller? Um, and, and that's really been kind of my journey on this show is to learn more about how to tell stories in a better way and in new ways. Do you feel like you have learned enough of what you needed to know from this show by doing these interviews to like really start to dig your teeth into the storytelling you want to tell? I hate to say yes, um, because then it sounds cocky, right? Um, it's okay. Be cocky, <laughs> be confident. That's what you should be. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I think I'm always going to continue to learn. Um, and, and that's one of the things I think this is a great transition for me because now I'm going to hear not how I would run the show, but how you are going to run the show. So for me, that's kind of like another level to it. It's like now I'm not driving and and I'm, I'm going to learn things that I wouldn't even think to ask because I'm me and I can only I can only come up with what I can come up with. You know, you guys are going to come up with different things than I am. So I guess in a way, yes. I mean, I, I think I've learned I, I've one of the things that I've learned through this show, because it's really been a, an eclectic blend of 
different ways of telling stories. So if you look at the lift, for instance, um, I, t- I tried to take a lot of elements that I loved about story and, and put it into the lift. And I'm hoping that that's why it's been as successful as it has, because it's it's written. So I'm, I'm a writer, you know, it, it, all everything else aside, I consider myself a writer. So I approach story from sitting down and typing up a story. So that's what the lift starts as is it starts as the written word being typed up. But I'm also a huge fan and and through the show have explored audio drama and, you know, things like War of the Worlds and um, old time radio. I was always a huge fan of old time radio. So there's the sound effect element, but I never wanted it to be intrusive upon the story. I wanted it to kind of blend with the story. When I did the ride, it had full sound effects, full music, voice acting, um, special effects. All that stuff was in there. And it's just it's so hard to do that, you know, because sound effects, especially if you go to the point where like you're trying to make sounds for everything that's occurring and make it a full on audio drama, that's somebody's job. Like that's, that's a job in and of itself. And I didn't want to take it to that level because it, I felt it would detract from my ability to put the stories together in a timely fashion and get them out there on a regular basis. Um, plus, like I said, I come to it as a writer. So my focus is always on the road on the word. Um, I've talked to voice actors and narrators and I'm told that I have a decent voice. So, I mean, that's one of the other ways that I tried to approach it was. We've been telling you that all day. (laughs) Yeah. And you have such a sultry, beautiful voice. This is why you have so many podcasts. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I I come to it from the voice actor perspective too. And I I was in theater whenever I was in high school and in college. So, you know, I come to it from an, I mean, that's how I approach narration is not just narrating, but I kind of feel like you have to be that character for that moment, even for the parts that I cut out. Like, I mean, I read Victoria's lines and then they're later replaced with, with Amber Collins, who is a fantastic voice actress who does Victoria. Can I hear your Victoria? Maybe, um, off the, off the cuff. I'd need something. I'd need dialogue to read. Uh, just, I don't know. You have a story that I wrote. Oh, that's true. I have it sitting right here. You do. Okay. Well, find a, find a Victoria line and I'll, an early one that's not going to give away too much of the story, and I'll read Victoria for you. <laughs> that was held up in front of the microphone for your uh, visualization needs. You're welcome. So, what are we doing today? She asked her music box. Some grand new adventure? The music box was silent. She nonetheless got the sense that it was leading her to something. Oh, fine. Be that way, she said with a huff. That's my Victoria. It's terrible. It's totally grandma. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible. That's why I have a voice actress that does her voice. uh, Because if I read Victoria's lines, it would take a lot away from the show. So tremendous. Thank you. (laughs) That was tremendous. Um, So that's the other element that you see in in the lift is, is only the only character that's voiced by, well, there's a couple exceptions to that. I mean, I I did play with having some, some walk-ons, you know, friends from other podcasts that walked on and got to do a role and, you know, Cindy had narrated an episode and, and I, I did, I provided the male vocals in that. So, I mean, there's a little bit of that, but I mean, there, there's your whole audio drama thing. Like Amber is, is a voice actress. So she's gotten an opportunity through this show, which will be coming up in season two. And also the very next episode of the wicked library where she's full narrating in her own voice, the entire story. And it's, it's a lot of fun and she does a great job. I mean, she obviously narrated plummet by herself in all in Victoria's voice all while being very sick as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's, so there's that element that I added to the lift of having the core character, the common thread that ties all the stories together 
played by a voice actress. So, you know, it, it then becomes, you know, that element of having a character that runs through it. So she's kind of the on the in-story Rod Serling. So she's there for everything. Um, and then there's the score. I mean, I, you know, the, the, the episodes are all fully scored so that there's music behind everything that's going on, except in rare occasions where you get a little bit of silence and, and that type of thing. But um, it, it, it took all of the things that I learned from, from ninth story and, and melded that together. And some of the stuff that I learned from doing the first season that I did of the wicked library season six, um, obviously played into how I did, uh, the lift, but you know, that was having multiple authors writing the things so that Cindy and I didn't have to write all the episodes ourselves because it would be very few of them if that was the case. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, having, the two arcs to it to have the the layer where it's you have the backstory what we call our um our core stories and then you have the monster of the week or the story of the week where there and I, I read a review recently on iTunes about it and somebody had brought that up that you know they don't normally like story podcasts because everything's all disconnected they're anthologies but Victoria ties all those stories together so you can you can listen to them as one offs but you can also listen to it as an arc because in even in those little one-off stories, you'll get little tiny bits of who Victoria is and about the building and the backstory and that kind of thing. They kind of bleed into those stories, um, which I, I think is a lot of fun because you can listen to them individually or you can listen to it as an arc. Um, so that's a long way of me answering your question, I guess. I love it. Of saying, yeah, I think I've learned some stuff that I, I can now put into practice and I'm going to learn by doing as well. I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to do things wrong, but just like with this show, um, but now it's time to kind of actually be the storyteller to wear that mantle for a while and see if I can do it. And you don't think you're already a storyteller? I try. I think you're already a storyteller. <laughs> I think you're an excellent storyteller, Dan. <sighs> see, here's the thing. Except that damn mantle. It's already on your shoulders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Looks good on you, buddy. Well, it really does. Dan Foytek, storyteller. Yeah. Well, that's what I aspire to be. Um, see, uh, to, 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 to tell you a little secret, I actually, I actually suffer from imposter syndrome. Um, I have this, this fear that people are going to find out that what I'm doing actually isn't any good at all. And I'm constantly waiting for that to happen. Um, so far, it hasn't. But. I mean, I do my best and I, I work hard to make it sound as close to what I would want to hear. So I'm like trying to reach what the level of my taste. Ira Glass has a great thing about that if, if people have never seen it, but he talks about there being a gap. I think it's the thing. The piece is actually called the gap. And it's like when you first start making things, they're not very good. Your taste is good. Your taste is killer, I think is, is what he says, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know what you like and you know what you want to hear. But your talent just isn't there yet. You're 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 trying to get there, but you're not there yet. And the way that you get there is you just keep going and you keep doing it. And that's one of the things that this show has forced me to do. The night that night story has forced me. I mean, I've I've taken there have been long gaps in production, which is something I know you guys are going to be much better at because I've watched how you create content. And I would step back from things. I would just have other things come up in my life and they would take priority. And Ninth Story would go for four months and there would be no episode. And then I'd put one out and there would go another two months. You know, that's one of the things that's most important about a form like this is consistency. You know, you pick every week or every other week or once a month or whatever it is and you, 
you stick by that. And if it's not going to happen, you let your fans know. And, and I would say for Dan, uh, that the fact that you're never really satisfied with your own work, uh, really kind of shows that you're the best kind of creator, that the best kind of creators never think that they've reached their apex and kind of stay there. You're not going to plateau because of that. And so I'm really excited to continue to see you grow. And, and I, I feel the same way when I, when I, that I'm always learning that I'm never you know, ex- excellent or great or excelling at something that I think I'm, I'm doing okay. And I'm, and I'm always surprised when people give me positive feedback on my work because I always expect more out of myself and I definitely aspire to higher standards constantly. And I feel like when, if you're constantly learning, then you're always going to, you're never going to get stale. You're never going to plateau at what you're doing. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, it keeps me from having a big head too. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say that there are things that I've done that I listen back to and I'm proud of. And there are some things that I listen back to and I spend a lot of time like most creators do looking at things or listening in, in my case or reading things that I've created and just being like, oh, that's I could have done that so much better. If only I had done this, this and this. And I give myself, I mean, we've had lots of conversations with authors and, and storytellers on the show where, you know, you, you have to learn as a creator to give yourself license to understand that I am not the same writer. I'm not the same person that I was a year ago. So therefore, I'm not the same. I can't judge. the That was a different person. I, that person is part of me. You know, it's part of my arc. It's part of who I am. But I'm not that writer anymore. Um, but I mean, I can still look back. I can look back at some of the stuff I did in high school. And find flashes of things where I'm like, wow, that was I, I'm I did that really. I, I'm amazed that I did that, you know, probably because I was copying somebody at that point, because we all mimic when we first start to create. We we have somebody that or some ones that we enjoy and our style becomes very much like a lot of stuff that I wrote in high school is very, very Douglas Adams because I was obsessed with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and and just British humor in general. So, I mean, a lot of my formative storytelling years, like whenever I was first on my way to becoming a writer, was a lot of that influence. And I mean, I can read stuff that I wrote in high school and be like, wow, Douglas Adams could have written this better. Uh, uh, A friend of mine who's (laughs) a a composer, he part of his internship is he would go and um, work with people that scored television shows. Mm And what he was supposed to do is score a new episode, the exact same style as the the, the their current composer, so that anybody watching the show and they would actually put it on air, and, and people watching the show could not tell that, oh, that it was okay. somebody else composing it. And and I feel like that's really definitely the best way you learn anyway is by mimicking mm-hmm. somebody else who's doing it well, right? And and looking how you can constantly try to reach that level, and once you've reached that level, I think that you naturally get a level of confidence where you're you're more willing to play and try different things. Right, you're going to get your own voice, and the, the only way you get your own voice is by trying lots of things. And I think now I know what my voice is. I mean, my voice comes through in the episodes of the Lift that I write, and um, you know, kind of whenever I collaborate with some of the writers, and and there are times when we we readjust and rewrite things. There's times when We'll take a story for the lift and I'll be like, well, can we put this, this and this in it? Because it helps tie things together. So there's like little little Easter eggs in in certain episodes, you know, like we did um, towards the end of the, the series, series one, uh, towards the end of the first season. Or, see, there's the British thing, series one, um, the end of the first season, um, we we put in some a callback to uh, a character that was from the very first episode that Nelson wrote. And then there was a callback to um 
a character created by uh, Scarlet Algae. Um, so, I mean, there, there's there's some stuff like that that I don't necessarily write all the episodes. In fact, I don't write all the episodes. It's not necessarily. I just I don't write all the episodes. But there are times when Cindy and I have some influence on some of the episodes in terms of, you know, what we suggest and edits and and maybe, you know, some little rewrites or additions that we add in. But um, it's just it's great to work with so many talented people. I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned from this whole thing is not necessarily. I mean, part of it is confidence in my my own ability as a storyteller and, and my path and journey, but also kind of the importance of being able to let go of things and to collaborate with people and if you pick good people and you you trust the people that you work with, I think incredible things happen because it it becomes not like I said earlier, I can only contribute what comes from me whenever I work with a broader spectrum when I work with great artists like yourself and you know I, I get in um, multiple different composers to do things, things that I'm not talented at doing myself. Um, and even other writers who would go in different directions than I would. I mean, they they get kind of a basic. This is who Victoria is. This is what the building is. It's a lot easier for season two and season three will be even easier because I can tell people listen to these first two seasons and you'll know who the character is. Um, but I'm already noticing an arc in. We have a lot of the stories in for season two of the lift and some of them are already recorded and in different states of production. And I'm already noticing an arc developing that is to me very natural and people will have to listen to figure out what it is, but it's very natural based upon what we, what we learned of Victoria and her story in, in the first season. So there, there's like some common questions that people's people, people's, but some common questions that people are asking as a result of the stories that were told in the first season. And, I, and that's kind of one of the fun things about the way that stories progress from chapter to chapter. Uh, so, Miss Andromeda, uh, since you and I will be uh, steering the ship quite shortly, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about how, uh, what story means to you and how do you feel that you connect to story with what you do? Yeah, what are your qualifications for this job, oh, young lady? Exactly. Talk about imposter syndrome. Some credentials, please. Um, so, I, am, I consider myself a wannabe writer. Um, I and a illustrator who is not a wannabe anymore because I'm actually doing it. Um, someone's paying me to do it. So it feels like you're a very, very talented visual artist. Thank you. And that's where my strength is. It's definitely in the visual arts, but I have always been obsessed with reading story and I have always wanted to write my own stories and I have notebooks full of terrible things, um, (laughs) that deserve some attention and that deserve some focus. And that is part of why I think the ninth story for me is going to really help me on my journey to becoming a better writer because uh, that that imposter syndrome just so spurs you onwards. It really does. It's like, well, I may not be a published writer yet, but all it takes is some effort, <laughs> and then I can get, and then we can get there, you know. Um, and I really do enjoy listening. I because I am a visual artist, and because I've gone from film to theater to you know, comic books occasionally and things like that. There is a story in everything. And that is part of why I liked your broad spectrum of talking to storytellers, no matter what their medium is. Everything tells a story. Marketing, a product is a story. And your branding on Twitter is a story. And, you know, audio drama is a story. And this right now is a story. A little bit of a different story. But 
somewhere I have a big stack of all my all my crap that I wrote. I was gonna dig it and pull it out, but I I have the doofiest looking notebooks. Um, but I'm I'm hoping with this podcast to actually use it as a way to keep me accountable to this other passion that I've never allowed myself to really expand upon beyond uh, blogging, I guess counts actually. <laughs> Definitely counts. It totally counts. It doesn't feel because um, when I say writing, I mean fiction. Mm-hmm. That is like the thing that I love beyond everything else. And I am such a visual slash mechanical type person mm-hmm. that often when it comes to my own writing, I get so caught up in just telling how pretty something is or how, you know, how the space is fleshed out rather than really getting into how to build a great character. Like I understand when I see it, I want to be able to write one. Mm-hmm. So that is the journey that I am starting here. Hello, friends. Welcome <laughs> to this boat. It's going to go past some rocks over there. I guarantee you should plug your ears for a moment. There are sirens every once in a while. Don't jump off the boat. I know they're pretty, but don't do it. Um, <laughs> Lots of mermaids and, everywhere. Uh, yeah. Sirens. And Alexander. Yeah. I want to know what you're looking to get out of the night. Story. Yeah. People know who Jeanette is that yeah. listen to the show. So, so who are you young man? And what, what allows you to be here? Uh, hmm. <laughs> well, um, I have been really in love with story for a long time and I'm, I'm, I'm married to Miss Andromeda over here and, uh, we've worked on feature films and short films together over the years. We actually met on a, on a short film, a horror film called fog warning which you can watch the whole thing for uh, free add some dramatic romantic music here you can watch the whole movie for free from the main company on youtube at like 720p you can watch the whole thing where jeanette when i met you can see young jeanette in the movie it's pretty cool oh yeah that was like the first appearance of jeanette as andromeda actually because when they said hey we need a room full of artwork and we want you to be the artist in the room i was like oh well then i should dress up the way i think artist Jeanette should mm-hmm. and then funnily enough 10 years later that's who I've kind of morphed into is yeah. fashion wise and everything self-fulfilling just, prophecy is. she totally had a, a a glass of orange juice with her pinky up in the scene so it's excellent oh well I want to watch this we, we need to put a link to this in the show notes <laughs> yes we should, we should so Alexander that's going to be up to you you're going to have to send me the information yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes but uh, yeah um, I've been really in love with story as a child mostly it was in film and then in, in books later on when as I got older uh, but I in love, fell in love with like Indiana Jones and Close Encounters and Star Wars and all that and I was always fascinated how things worked I would just study human beings and and, and movies and books and just fascinating with the ma- the mechanics of everything and how everything came together and, and how uh, this giant group of people came together to make something where an individual by themselves were able to create whole worlds. Mm-hmm. And and so I found that stuff entirely fascinating. And when I was in uh, high school, I think it was like my senior year in high school or junior year, actually probably junior year. And um, one of my art teachers, typically when you go to an art class, uh, that's just kind of busy work. You know, in, in, in elementary school, high school, junior high, it's kind of typically busy work if you, it, depending on the professor you have. And mine was like, hey, try painting with uh, gouache or with, you know, watercolors or use the Conte crayons or whatever and, and try something. But they really wouldn't give you any idea of how to get into that artistic core of what you're trying to say or, or, or a story behind your piece. So this particular teacher said, hey, had this, uh, uh, this project where she said, okay, go home write a one to two page thing about something you're feeling or something you experienced. And then as soon as you're done putting your pen down, make your piece of art. You can take any any medium you want, any kind of 
paint or drawing tools or, or paper or anything you need, take it home, uh, write this piece. And as soon as it's done, uh, write something, uh, create something, create something as a piece of art. And so I had gone through a, a little uh, angsty breakup and I was pretty bummed out. And I'm at home and there's like, it's thunderstorm and it's rain outside and mm-hmm. it's kind of moody and I'm like in this mood and I'm kind of bummed out. So I, I wrote this piece about just kind of going into myself and, and, and being pulled away from this world that I was just struggling to, to, to be a part of. And I felt very, uh, uh, kind of separate from, okay. uh, cause I didn't have a ton of friends in the school. I had like a core group of like five or six friends that I always had in, in school, but I never in, in, in uh, elementary and in, in junior high and high school. Uh, but I didn't have a, a huge amount of friends. I kind of was, uh, uh, you know, we're small part of a small clique. So, um, when I when I really was reflecting upon that in in the piece, uh, I, I just let go. I didn't think about it. I wasn't thinking about what I was creating. I just let it stream out of me, and and I put it on the paper. And then I stopped, and I made this piece, you know, fairly quickly, maybe half an hour or an hour. And I made this piece of art afterwards. And so what we're supposed to do is take this to class, and you put your piece of art on an easel, and then you look at the class and you read what you wrote. And, and so everybody had gone and done their thing and they just kind of like, oh, you know, I went to the circus with my family or, or something silly and trife that they, you know, they, and they just, you know, didn't really take the, the project very seriously and they mm-hmm. didn't really think about it. Um, so I came up and I put my piece up there and it kind of looked like the scream and it had uh, this gentleman's face and he's, there's like these three different portals and there's a portal for each of his hands trying to come into this world and then. Uh, being being pulled down back into the void, and the same thing with his face was being you know pulled back into the void. But he's just reaching for this world, but he's keeps getting pulled into another dimension mm-hmm. uh, where he you know just a, a dimension of nothingness. And so uh, I read this piece, and about f- ten seconds in, uh, the kids stopped spitting spitballs and, and chattering. They just got very quiet, mm-hmm. and they were very very transfixed in what I was saying and listening, and. Um, when I was done, I can tell they all felt something. They all felt something very deep and they felt connected to what I was saying. It's because, you know, when you're in high school, you, you put this face on this mask on that you're, uh, you're impervious to emotions and feelings and you're just Mr. or Mrs. Cool all the time. You're not an, you're not a person. You don't not allowed to be a person because if you show any chinks in your armor, people are going to poke fun of that and, and take advantage of that. Right. So, um, I think a lot of people in the, in the in the classroom really related to the material, and and I was saying things that they were too afraid to say, mm-hmm. and so that when I was done and I sat down, you could see everybody kind of looking down and shuffling their feet because it was their turn to go up, and they really hadn't, they weren't brave enough to put that down there. They just had to just put whatever they felt like, just something silly up there, and just kind of didn't take it seriously because they felt like, well, if you try too hard, then you're the art geek or whatever label someone's going to put on you, but. I took it seriously. And from then on, I really felt I had something to say, but it wasn't until we did our web series that I really hunkered down and, 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 and uh, had this kind of epiphany that if I do a short form stories, that this is kind of where my bread and butter is. This is where I really relate to and how I can easily tap into these, this uh, imagination of mine of constantly daydreaming and night dreaming and dreaming constantly and never really being quite in the moment, uh, which is, I, I'm always like that. Uh, to be able to actually channel that into something creative that is worth something. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm really glad you brought, it, brought up high school because that just sparked a thought in my brain that I can't believe hadn't been in there for so long. When I was in high school, I was obsessed with the theater group. I just spent all of my time over there and the occasional time I missed our uh, 
weekly meeting on a Wednesday was because I wandered over to the creative writing group. And uh, I wrote so many plays for our uh, students on stage show. So every year I would write like four or five plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ha- I still have a whole bunch of those plays. So actually, yes, I have written things. I have put them out into the world. Yay. And they've been performed. And uh, that's actually, I can't believe that thought didn't even occur to that me. That is very impressive, young lady. Um, my friend Teresa and I would just hang out, write plays, like pass the stories back and forth to each other. Well, that's and, what happens uh, here yeah. on the ninth story uh, in this building. You remember things that you've forgotten. Thanks, the truth Victoria. comes out. <laughs> I think we both kind of don't give ourselves enough credit for the things that we create uh, and, and the kind of passion we pour into it. But that was what I was most attracted to Jeanette in the first place we met was her pure passion for what she was doing. And you really don't see a lot of people that uh, both are very passionate and are also very social. And Jeanette was also was very passionate. Oh, she's in, definitely social. Yes, yeah, very social. She's, she's Hi, friends. She's very, she's bubbly. She's got lots of energy. The weirdest horror fan ever. <laughs> Actually, I think horror fans are by by a rule. Um, a lot more outgoing and and friendly and yeah, accepting actually. and bubbly than most other people. And that's I, I've said it many times. It's because we had all the crap out. Yeah, we know what's in the closet. We That's put right. it there. We're like, hey, look at this. I found this that. in the closet. Let's all look at it together. This is so awesome, which reminds me of uh, Man in the Am- Ambry. If you guys haven't listened to that episode yet, please go listen to it. Episode it's a love- 702, wickedlibrary.com forward slash 702. It's amazing because it's a total love story between this little girl and the monster in her closet. Yeah, And uh, just go, as she grows just up and falls it. deeper and deeper in love with the monster. I feel like that's my life. <laughs> Are you the monster in the closet? Always. <laughs> Yay. Awesome. I mean, I, I, actually, speaking about monster in the closet, uh, when I was, I would say, five and younger, uh, I was never afraid of the monster in the closet. And and uh, I would just go crawling around the house like a little cat and scare the crap out of my parents. Mm-hmm. I'd just be sitting on the edge of their bed in the middle of the night to see these two little glowing eyes and it'd be me. Yeah. And it, it wasn't until I was probably like, like you know, 11, 12, 13 that I started actually having real fear. Yeah. And and that real fear definitely uh, makes its way into your brain and into your creative process. So I feel like that's really uh, the core of why I write horror uh, as opposed to what I really do. One of the more, uh, bigger passions I've always had, which is fantasy and adventure. Uh, but I try to you know imbue that into my stories because I, I always have a very big love for that kind of genre. And uh, what I love about horror is you can mash up a little bit of everything. And that's the, my, my favorite horror is the kind of horror that you mash up a little bit of everything in. Nice. So yeah, we know your horror. qualifications. There we go. There's, there's my little uh, badge. So where can, where can folks badge. go to check out your stuff if they're preparing for season, the next season well, of folks, Ninth Story? You can uh, get a hold of me at Jeanette underscore art on Twitter directly, or uh, my other self is at horror underscore made. Um, We are still waffling over the idea of having a specific ninth story thing. We do have a ninth story Facebook page, though. Yes. Ninth story podcast. Um, Why keep the ninth story podcast name? Because just like with the Wicked Library, this is the core of it, and we wanted to keep it as the podcast well victoria appreciates that and we love victoria victoria you are a massive part of why i loved this show in the first place (laughs) of course she is (laughs) (laughs) and uh you can reach me at htv immortal on twitter 
Uh, are you running late, or can I can I read a little something for the for listeners? Well, that's what I wanted to do. Is I wanted to get your links out and get the information out there. And, w- and we are at just at an hour, so we'll take a little break and we'll come back, and you can give them a taste of some of of what you're going to be incorporating into the show for next season. Babies cry. The night was black as pitch, and the only thing illuminating the way was the full moonlight. Mary walked the long, familiar stone-covered path, past the wrought iron gates, over the hill, and the dead maple trees, to a singular gravestone. It was in the shape of a heart, made of rough granite, and bore the name Nathan upon it. This was the grave of Mary's husband, who passed into the deep beyond well over five years ago. This was her ritual, her way of feeling, anything but numb. Every year she would lay a large arrangement of lilies and baby's breath at the foot of his grave. Then she would lay beside her long-gone love. The grass would be their bed, and she would lay there, looking upon the pale October sky under the full moonlight. As she would lie there, she would take in all of the sights and sounds the night had to offer. The sweet music and strange animals and millions of tiny insects filled the air. To her, this was pure serenity. Occasionally, she would turn her head to look upon whatever curious creature would approach her. This night, it was a mother coyote and her young. The coyote groomed and groomed her little ones lovingly, but eventually left Mary to be at peace with her Nathan. It was as if they could sense her loss. It would give her their respects before departing. Once, Mary even spied a black widow spider giving birth to hundreds of tiny spider babies mere inches from her face. She wouldn't move. Even when the fresh hatchlings would crawl all over her face and down her side. Their tiny little legs tickled her skin, but she would not budge. They meant her no harm, and she would never harm them. She would have been a wonderful mother, if only she could. Mary and Nathan had tried many times to have children of their own. It never took. She could never have children, and the doctors told them, and there was nothing they could do about it. In the moonlight, she laid there in regret. Regret that she had no part of Nathan to keep. Nothing in this world to remind her of him. No child to make her happy. When Nathan was alive, they were inseparable. Two peas in a pod, they would play in the rain, throw eggs at neighbors' houses while dressed as ghoulish fiends, then scamper off when the front yard lights were illuminated. They would spend endless hours simply gazing at one another caressing each other's hands, deeply in love. Now her only comfort came from the cool grass and the tripping of crickets. Laying there on the earth felt like laying on his chest. 
It kept her close to him. Oh, how she longed for his scent, his warm skin and delicate caress. Most of all, she longed to have a child to remind her of him and the vibrant exuberance for life which he held. A little baby of her own, made of his own flesh. After a while, Mary's eyes became heavy. She longed for many things, but rest now bore the strongest pull upon her semi-conscious mind. Before she knew it, she had fallen to a very deep and peaceful sleep. As Mary laid on the grass, her eyes aflutter, she heard a low, strange sound. First, it came from inside her mind, but then the sound grew louder and louder until it took a more distinct shape. Strange yet familiar, the sound of a baby's cry. Not from her dreams, but instead ringing loudly within her ears, rousing her from her slumber. As she rose to the cool night air, brushing against her skin and her wet, watering eyes, the first thing her eyes beheld when they came back into focus was the gorgeous full moon in the clear night sky, then her husband's grave, then something peeking from behind a dead maple tree in the distance. The crying had only ceased for a moment, but then resumed as the thing behind the tree began to move, then to hover over the gravestones. Mary clasped her hands over her mouth, and her eyes went wide at the sight of a skeletal infant crying and wailing as it floated high above the graveyard. Mary's fear slowly subsided as she uncupped her mouth, as she took in the sight of the ghostly infant descending slowly to the ground and appearing to crawl, while cooing instead of crying. The skeletal ghost baby locked its gaze upon Mary once more, and she was unafraid. Mary sat back down beside Nathan's tomb and awaited the curious specter, which she assumed would approach her much like other creatures of the night. When it arrived by her side, it looked at her with tiny green lights faintly glowing within its ocular cavities. Though it had no flesh upon its face, it seemed to smile. As if by instinct, Mary placed her arms around the unearthly form and rose to cradle it in her arms. Though she could not touch it, the baby remained floating within her grasp as she rocked it to and fro, singing a made-up lullaby she used to sing to herself at night when she could not sleep and had longed for a child of her own. This felt peaceful to Mary. This felt right. Mary continued to rock the child with soft smile upon its face and a content heart as she sung her tune, which went something like this. Oh, my love, oh, my everything, the stars in your eyes, they shine like little stones, aglow from within, a love unscathed. Oh, my little one, how I wish you were mine. A single tear fell from Mary's cheek as her song came to an end, and the baby appeared to be peacefully sleeping within her arms. Oh, how she longed for Nathan to be here, to share this moment, 
As she stared lovingly at the spectral infant, she felt the presence of something upon her shoulder. A hand. Not a solid one, mind you. But the warmth was still very distinct. Mary's heart began to quicken. She was too frightened to look. But then the voice rang out to the night, deep and familiar. Mary. Her heart felt like it would leap out of her throat. She felt ill, and once again, afraid. She slowly turned around, and what she saw was not what she had wished for. It was Nathan. She recognized him from his suit and his voice, but his face was half rotten, and one of his eyes drooped down to his chin. Mary screamed so loud and with such fright that her heart stopped. Nathan screamed as well, only his jaw dislodged from its socket, causing it to droop from one of the strands of rotting flesh. Mary's body fell to the ground, lifeless, and so did Nathan's. The sound was deafening. To her surprise, Mary's eyes actually opened, but she was not lying on the ground as she expected. She was still standing and cradling the very surprised ghost baby that was crying loudly from the fright she and Nathan had given the poor, shivering thing. There was something different this time, though. She could actually feel the baby shivering in her arms, which had a strange glow about it. A hand touched her shoulder once more, but this time, she could feel it bore more weight upon her body. She looked up, and there was Nathan, smiling, his flesh was somehow restored, though it has the same faint glow as hers. Their eyes met, and her heart raced. His eyes moved from hers to the child in her arms. Mary's looked as well. To her surprise, the child was no longer a collection of bones, but a real child. A glowing little boy. A beautiful baby boy that smiled and cooed at both of them. A beautiful little family, glowing in the moonlight forever. That was Baby's Cry by Immortal Alexander. So. 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 Yeah. So goodbye, guys. Goodbye. Um, (laughs) Enjoy enjoy the show. Take care of it. Um, Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be great. Every once in a while, there's going to be, you know, a, a creepy little girl that walks in and, you know. Sits there and watches you. And, Says hello. Yeah, we, we, won't hello let your, we won't let your baby cry. We'll take care of her. Oh, that's good. Well, Victoria's uh-huh. old enough to take care of herself it's these true. days. But, you know. More like she'll take care of us. That's correct. Day. Exactly. She'll make us cry. <laughs> that maybe. Maybe. You got to behave yourself. <laughs> you never know. I've cried quite a few times. Um, but, yeah, I, I really appreciate you guys coming down to Pittsburgh um, and, and hanging out to, to do the show. Yeah. For no other reason. It was just for this. We all know uh, that. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Just for this. If if you want more of Jeanette and Alexander, you can go over to horrormade.com. So so did Victoria talk to you? Did you see her moving around while you were sleeping here? She did stare at me while I was sleeping last night, but yeah. it was mostly because your monitor was on her pictures on. There. When I was downstairs, <laughs> uh, when, I, when I was downstairs, the the door just opened uh, randomly on its own. So it might be either one of your old cats or Victoria. Oh, sure. She's always around here doing something. So I'll so I'll leave I'll leave all this stuff in your capable hands and I'll just uh, show myself out. I'll take the elevator down mm-hmm. and uh, good luck to you. 
You're always welcome, sir. Thanks, Dan. Thank Have you a so nice much. ride. Okay. <laughs> so, this is it, kiddo. The end of this little journey. All things end. So others can begin. True. It's just, I don't know, odd to be leaving. It's going to be in good hands. Oh, no question about that. It'll, uh, it'll be fun to have someone new to play with, yeah? Oh, yes. Jeanette and Alexander are going to be so much fun. I'm proud of you, young man. Of me? You've grown and changed. You've become who I knew you could be. But you needed to see it yourself before you could move on. I guess it was time. It's actually a bit overdue, I think. (laughs) Anxious to get rid of me, huh? Well... You're not really leaving. You're just getting off this floor, off of the ninth story. We still have a lot of other floors. And a lot more work to do together. (laughs) Mm. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.